Welcome to season two of the Testimony Service Podcast, brought to you by Engage. Engage is a brand I started at the end of last year to serve as a reminder for us to engage with God, to actually cultivate a personal relationship with Him, and then to engage others, to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ to those around us. And one of the ways we engage others is through our testimonies. So here is Jasmine A. Simons, episode 209, Don't Believe the Hype. My name is Jasmine Simons, and I'm from Cleveland, Ohio. I was actually born in San Diego, California, but I came here as a child after my parents had gotten a divorce. I was, you know, fairly young. But I'm actually going to get into that with you guys in just a moment. What I want to do is kind of give you an introduction to my testimony so you can see how the Lord has really moved in my life. Um, So I have a book called To God Be the Glory for My Story. And I'm just going to read you a few sentences of that. And then we're going to go into my testimony. So to God be the glory. Yes. You are probably wondering why anyone would start a book off like this. But to be honest, there was no other way that I could have started this book. The fact that I'm still alive when I tried to take my life on more than one occasion, to God be the glory. To God be the glory that when they left me unconscious on the side of the freeway with the right side of my face caved in and a bleed on my brain, and I'm still alive to talk about it, to God be the glory. To God be the glory that I'm in my right state of mind after several psychiatrists and psychologists labeled me bipolar and manodepressive and borderline psychotic. They said I suffer from post-traumatic stress disorder and I was delusional. Hallelujah. But I am still alive and I'm not on any medications today. To God be the glory. By the grace of God, I can say that I'm clean and I'm sober at the age of 34 years old after struggling with alcohol and drug addiction since the age of 13, more than half of my life. To God be the glory. See, the reason why I had to read that to you guys first is because the fact of the matter is I shouldn't be alive. I shouldn't be alive. I shouldn't be able to give this testimony on testimony time today. I shouldn't be able to speak. I shouldn't be able to think on my own. I shouldn't be able to walk on my own. I shouldn't be able to testify about what God has done in my life because I've been in so many situations where I shouldn't even be alive that it's just absolutely amazing and I'm floored by the love of God. When I came here, guys, I came here, I think I was about five or six years old, when I came to Cleveland from San Diego, I was molested. I was molested several times up until about the age of 10 years old. Um, My family was not the type of family that we talked about certain things. So I kept it to myself. I didn't talk about it. I didn't ask anyone for help. I just internalized it and it didn't get me far. First, I began to isolate. Imagine being a little girl and you're isolated from the people that are supposed to help you. And this is no jab at my mom. She had her own struggles. You know, my mom had struggles with mental health issues as well and addiction. However, at that age, I didn't know it. I just know mama used to stay in her room a lot. And to God be the glory, this is how God turns situations and families around. When I was in the deepest depths of my addiction. My mother was the one that took care of my kids. My mother was the one that made sure that I had the things that I needed. My mother was the one that took over. Even though when I was younger, 
she took care of everything financially, but just mentally, she had kind of checked out for a period of time. And it was during that period of time that I mimicked what I saw and I checked out too. So I would isolate. I went to school, but I would come home and I would go straight to my room and I would stay in there with a pack of ramen noodles and some books that I had gotten from the library. And I didn't realize even back then I was showing traits of having like an addictive personality. I would go to the library and I would literally get about 10 or 15 books and I would read through those books in like a month. I kid you not, from cover to the end. And I would do that because I was so broken, but I didn't know it. I was hurting so much inside, but I couldn't show it. One thing that was always said in my household is what happens in this house stays in this house. And I was in so much fear of telling on my molester because uh, one of the times that I was molested, it was a family member. So I was in so much fear that I would bring shame to our family. I was in so much fear because then it happened again that it was my fault. I was in so much fear and now shame had kicked in that, hey, maybe I'm messed up too because do I like it? If I really don't like it, then why haven't I opened up my mouth to tell somebody? Why do I continue to allow this to happen to me? You know, and I just had so many questions. Um, my father wasn't in the picture at that time. Well, I take that back. He was in the picture. However, it was on holidays. My father still remained in California and his work schedule took him around traveling. And so he would always send gifts, birthdays, Christmas, stuff like that. But then I'm like, well, where is he at the rest of the year? Because I'm not hearing from him. He kind of reminded me of Santa Claus. You know, everything that I wanted, I had. But the thing that I needed was lacking. I didn't have the emotional support from my father. I didn't have the emotional support from my mother. So key areas of my life that I needed to be nurtured so that I could grow and become were missing. Back then, I didn't know what was wrong. I thought it was me. My father's not here because of something I did. Okay. My mother, she doesn't even want to be around me because she's in her room all day with the door closed. I just felt like it was me. You know, my own cousin molested me. It's me. The girls down the street who were supposed to be my friends molested me. It was me. And so I wanted to get as far away from me as I could. That's what led me into drugs. I felt like an outcast anyway. I linked up with the other outcasts and they felt like outcasts too. So they was doing whatever they chose to do for attention. I guess it was a cry for attention. So they were smoking weed. They were drinking. I always kind of hung around the older group because I had an older cousin who lived with us. And this is not who molested me, but I had an older cousin who lived with us and he was like a brother to me. And so I literally like worshiped the ground that he walked on and I wanted to do everything like him and be in the groups and on the same like he was. And so I always tried to act like I was somebody I wasn't. And I always try to act older. You know, the fast little girl. Yep. Mm -hmm, that was me, you know, with the little Daisy Duke song, seeking out the attention of older men. And so I had begun to hang around these older gentlemen who smoked weed. And they asked me if I wanted to try. So I said, yeah. I kid you not. I hit that thing probably like one time. The next thing I know, I had fell into a pile of doo-doo. Yes, I said it. A pile 
of doo-doo. Okay, embarrassment is not even the word. I had to walk home with that mess on me and it was burning hot outside. I will never forget. And I was so embarrassed and I was so ashamed that I told myself, you know what? This is not me. Mm -mm. Let me go back to my books. This is not me. I will never do this again. That wasn't the case. You know, I think about a year or so later, I began to hang out with a female who was older and her boyfriend. And she wasn't really so much into drugs or anything like that, but she was into him. So what he was into, she was into. And we went to hang out and they asked us, did we want some drinks? I don't even know how many drinks that they gave me. But what I do know, I remember my head spinning and I remember asking them if I could lay down. And I remember some guy ushering me into a bedroom. The next thing I remember is waking up and having someone on top of me. And I remember losing something, knowing that I lost something that I would never get back. That is where things just crashed. I think I hit a wall at that point. I couldn't understand why the sexual abuse kept happening to me. I felt like I was dirty. I felt like I was trash. I felt like I had invited this. I was nasty. I must like it. I must be evil. And so at that point, it was just like, it's whatever. Like, so I didn't care about anything. I began to act out in school. I began to fight. I was expelled shortly after for starting a riot and knocking out somebody's teeth. You know, I just was an animal. I couldn't be tamed. There was no one that could tell me anything. Within a few years time, I was in juvenile detention center for stabbing someone. I had actually cut the gentleman who became my husband after that. I had cut his thumb off, okay, in a fit of rage and, and anger. God got me out of that situation, you know. I actually began to call upon the name of the Lord when I was about 10. And I had an experience with him in my home during worship. But the thing about it was I didn't stay in the Lord. I went to church every now and then. Sometimes I got spurts of feeling that I really needed to just give my life to him. So I would do that for a while. But the streets would always be calling me back. At that point, I had no idea who I was. And I felt like I couldn't let down the character that I had become. I couldn't let people see that I really wasn't that girl, that tough girl, that wild girl, the party girl. Like literally, people used to call me the life of the party because that's all I wanted to do was party. I brought the party wherever I was at any time. I had put on that persona for so long that I never stuck with God. Like I would go to God when I was in trouble over my head. Of course, when I ended up in juvenile detention center, I'm calling on the Lord. When I was expelled, I'm calling on the Lord. When I was dancing, I also had a time frame where I was an exotic dancer and I was doing private parties. And I remember one time this guy stole this money off of me and I'm calling on the Lord. Lord, have him give me my money back. I know, crazy, right? When I'm out here doing something, I don't have no business doing. And so I didn't know God as my father yet. And I didn't know that the issue that he wanted to heal within me was through who he was and through who he is. And so I didn't know God as Abba then, but I know him as Abba now. And so what I was looking for in these drugs, what I was looking for in these men, because I was also very promiscuous, 
man, I, what I used to say about myself, and this is crazy because I used to say it about myself, like I changed men like clothes and I was proud of that. I would let it be known in a second and a heartbeat. And then once my addiction started to get really bad, sex for me became a transaction, I should say. It was no longer a pleasurable thing. It was just like, hey, if you got what I need and I don't have the funds, I know you'll take this. So let's do this transaction and let's keep it moving. So I had gotten to a point where I had lost all dignity. There was no moral standards that I had held myself to. Needless to say, I dropped out of school. And the crazy thing about it is, uh, and this isn't to toot my horn, this is just the grace of God that's been on my life. When I dropped out of school in the 11th grade, I was actually taking college classes and passing those with flying colors. And I could have graduated early. It's just my attendance wouldn't let me, especially after I got kicked out of traditional school and I had to go to a school for behavior. So the thing is, as a little girl, we dream and we have all these hopes and we have all these aspirations. And I remember I used to say, I want to be an architect. I remember I used to say, I want to be a doctor. I remember I used to say, I want to be a lawyer. And the thing about it is nothing could have stopped me from doing those things except for the choices that I made. See, when you don't have a clear sense of direction because certain things haven't been reinforced in you to show you who you are, then you'll fall for anything that the enemy tells you. And that's what I did. Toward the end of my addiction, I literally felt like I was scum. Throughout the years, like I mentioned, I I was married at one point. I never had any children with my ex-husband. I thought that I was infertile and we couldn't have any children, but it was not a marriage that was conducive to raising children. So God knew best. At that time, we were both highly involved in drugs. We were both highly involved in a street life. You know, unfortunately, because of the lifestyle that we lived, my door was kicked in. My door was kicked in by federal agents and he was taken to prison. I was taken to jail. They literally took me out my house with no clothes on. They threw a t-shirt on me, but I had nothing on underneath the t-shirt and they sat me in a jail cell like that and then gave me someone else's underwear to put on and socks. Okay. I have been through some crazy experiences Thank God those federal agents didn't blow my head off when they caught me in that closet because they had told me to come out several times, but I was so scared. I'm like, I'm not coming out of this closet. And it was pitch black in my house and they were looking for him, but I was the only one there and I was in the closet and it's like four in the morning. I was high out of my mind. Thank God they didn't shoot. That relationship ended with him going to prison It actually ended after he was sentenced to 35 years in prison. I didn't get a divorce from him at that time, but I ended up having one shortly after because I had been in other relationships, even though we were still married and now I was pregnant. And I ended up pregnant a few more times. I have four children, to God be the glory. I'm the same girl that was told at 13 that I wouldn't have any children because I had a condition called a bicornuate uterus, where your uterus is actually, instead of being a round oval, 
it is two halves. It looks like an upside down heart. And they said that there wouldn't be enough room for the baby to grow to full term, but there was a surgery that they could try. Uh, the devil is a liar. I have four kids now. They're healthy. But that is not any of my doing either. I just have to be really honest in this testimony because I know that this is going to set someone free. With my first children, I didn't use, um, I believe that maybe I had a drink or something very early on because I didn't even know I was pregnant. I wasn't that gone into drug abuse then. And those are my twins. Uh, With my next pregnancy, I did use. I used the first few months and then I literally fell out on my face crying, asking the Lord to take the taste out of my mouth so that my baby would have a chance. By my next pregnancy, because again, I have four children, but I only had these three pregnancies that went full term. I've had other pregnancies, but I've had miscarriages again. I'm the same girl that's not supposed to have any kids. So to God be the glory for the ones that did live with my last pregnancy. And I know this is going to really help someone. I struggled this entire pregnancy. I just could not quit. And seven months in it, I remember I was in the shower and I fell to the floor bawling. And I said, Lord, if you would just change my life, if you would open the door, I will walk through it. I said, but I don't know if I've done any damage to this baby. I said, Lord, and I need you more than I've ever needed you in my life to make things right because I can't. And I will never forget, I felt this peace wash over me. And I heard, he's okay, talking about my baby. And then I heard, and you are going to be okay. Oh, my God. Mm. I'm getting chills thinking about it. And then I remember getting up, washing myself off and getting dressed. And I knew that I wasn't going to get high. And I didn't. I stayed sober, but I was still smoking cigarettes. And then I had another encounter while I was at the hospital with one of my other children who had pneumonia at the time. I went outside to smoke a cigarette. Mind you, still pregnant. And some lady came from nowhere. I don't even know where she came from. Okay. And she began to witness to me. And I felt so convicted. I put that cigarette down and I didn't smoke again until after I had my son. I did good for about a month and a half. And then I had invited his father back in my life, who used to be my drug dealer. And uh, he had moved in. And needless to say, I went back to the dope. Okay. I went back to it. Cocaine was my drug of choice at this time in my life. And I went back to it. After that, it was downhill. I wasn't taking care of my children. I wasn't taking care of myself. I remember I had gone two weeks without even getting in the shower. I had gone like two weeks without really eating a real meal, just high every day or drunk every day, waking up to pass out like literally weeks had gone by. I remember saying I was going to the store for something Okay, and not coming back for days on end, you know, and not even remembering where I was waking up at some strange person's house. I was that far gone and I knew that I needed help, but I thought God is not going to help me. He just helped me out of this last situation. And here I am again. It's over for me. I just want to die. And I began to succumb to those feelings. 
I had dealt with these feelings all my life. I'm not going to lie. Just not wanting to be here because I didn't feel loved. I didn't feel accepted. I feel like people love who I pretended to be, but nobody had a clue who I truly was. Even family members, you know, I put on the front around them. I just wanted to die and enough was enough. And I don't know, I was just super high one day. I was in my bathroom and I had a razor and I don't even know what happened because like I said, I was really high, but I do remember I sliced my neck, sliced my wrist too. And I do remember EMS kicking down my door because I wouldn't come out because I wanted to bleed out. That was like one attempt. Oh, let me rewind a little. So after that, they sent me to a mental institution When I got out of there, I just felt so good. I'm ready to tackle the world. On the way home, I had my mother stop at the liquor store so I can get me a bottle because I just need this one drink, right? Wrong. And then I was on a binge again. And then I remember like within a month, we were having a family function that I did not want to go to because at this point, I would get anxiety, like severe anxiety around other people because of the drugs, So I had to be drunk to even go. So my mom was like, okay, you know, and she couldn't stop me from getting it. I was going to get it anyway, but I wasn't driving. So obviously I used her vehicle and we did live together at this time, just to give you a better picture of what was going on. Like I said, I was really strung out at this time. And if it wasn't for the grace of God, getting my mother to a place where she was stable and able to be there in my children's life and in my life, I don't even know where I would be. My kids would probably be in the system, which happens to a lot of people, some people that I know right now. So I'm really thankful for that. And that second time that I tried to take my life, we were at the family function. I was pretty drunk, pretty high because I left the family function to go get some dope and excuse my language, and I'm sorry if this triggers anybody. I'm not trying to, but I just have to be honest because God told me once you get real with it, then I can deal with it. And he reveals things in our lives to redeem those things in you. So that's what he does with me every time I share my story. You know, things that may try to creep back up and make me feel a little bit ashamed again. He sets me free. So To make a long story short, I literally, you know, tried to jump off a cliff. I didn't know it was a cliff. I was hallucinating. I thought that I saw someone chasing me and I tried to jump off a cliff. And again, he will put people in your path to protect you because he did it for me that day. Some lady and some man came out of nowhere along with my uncle and they grabbed me right before I went over. At the bottom of this cliff was nothing but jagged rocks. I would have been dead. I was sent to the mental institution again after that. And then there was another time, maybe a few more times, but I'm not going to go into that. The fact of the matter is it finally came to a point where I got help. I was at a low point again. I began to call everyone to tell them I love them. And I remember the last person I called was my father. Now, mind you, this is the same father that wasn't in my life for a majority of my life in the capacity that I needed. When I was younger, there were times when he was very stable or consistent is a better word, being there for our birthdays and holidays and stuff like that and coming to visit. But during my teen years, not so much. 
And then he actually moved to Ohio, but then he remarried and stuff like that. And so again, he was here and then he was gone again. So however, during my lowest points, God has shifted things in his life. So now he was a man of God and liver for God and went from a pastor to apostle. And, you know, God had begun to move mightily in his life. And now this is so interesting because towards the end of my addiction and the very last time that I tried to take my life, it was my father who the Lord put on my heart to call. And I didn't tell him that but he sensed it in the spirit. And I just called and I was talking to him, telling him I love him. And he was telling me, don't get off the phone. So I talked to him for a while, but I was over it. So I got off the phone. I literally walked around the corner. I don't even know what I was going to do, what I just wanted to die. And there he was coming up the street. Jasmine, get in the car. (laughs) And I'm like, what? How did he get here? He had left his job and was at my house in 15 minutes. He flew on the freeway. And come to find out later, he told me that God told him if he didn't leave now, I wouldn't make it. And um, after that, it was history. I was able to get into an inpatient rehab. And I had been to rehab before, y'all. I'm not even going to play, okay? I had been to rehab before, but I just wasn't ready. At this point, I was broken, okay? Every little false sense of pride, every false sense of me being this or me being that, it was all shattered. I had absolutely nothing to hold on to, to continue to live that life. I knew at this point that I needed a miracle. And it's so interesting that God took me to a rehab center called Noah. And as you guys remember, Noah is the one that God commissioned to build the ark that saved humanity pretty much as I was there because it wasn't in my city. I didn't know anyone. I didn't have anyone that I could reach out to. They were very strict there. You could only have a certain amount of money after a certain amount of time. They were just very strict. And that's what I needed. I needed structure. I had lived a life that was so wild and carefree for so long that I had no structure. I had no discipline. I just moved with the wind and it wasn't the wind of the Holy Ghost. Okay. It was just the wind. I needed this place. And while I was there, I had nobody. So I called out to God again and he answered me and he began to heal me in ways that I never even knew I could be healed. I never, I thought I was so far gone. I'm sure some of you feel like that now that you're just so far gone. Can God do it for you? And I'm here to tell you that he can. You know, I mean, he literally rewrote my story. I spent nine months at this rehab center family, nine months, okay? Three months at the intensive inpatient place. And then they had a secondary place that you can go to and kind of get back into traditional life, like working and paying bills and having a little bit more freedom than what we had for the first three months. And I really needed that gradual step back into life. I didn't need to be thrust back into all of these responsibilities. And it really helped. And while I was out there, it was close to where my father lived. So he would come get me on the weekends, take me to his church, Glory, Grace and True Tabernacle. And, you know, he would Come and get me. And at first, I'm not going to lie. I was not trying to be there. I just preferred being at home at the place that I called home at the moment and 
being with the Lord by myself. I didn't want to be around people. I was still suffering from shame and anxiety and not feeling like people would accept me. I still felt that I was a stain, if that makes sense. You know how irritating a stain is and how noticeable it is? I still felt like that's what I was when I came around, especially coming to this man of God's church and I'm his daughter and everybody's asking, where have I been all these years? And, oh, we never knew he had a daughter and all this stuff. So I felt like even more shame at first when I would even think about going to his church, but... He was so persistent in the most genuine way. It wasn't like, no, you need to go to church. It was just so genuine. And I could honestly tell that he was not ashamed of me at all. And that helped me. And I began to go and I began to get healed. And then I began to be called upon to go up there and pray. And then I began to do that. And it's just been beautiful since. I'm not going to lie. I've had some ups and downs. I experienced relapse since that experience. I've experienced health issues. I've experienced brokenheartedness, thinking that I will rekindle relationships with certain individuals because I'm better now and they will see that. And it wasn't like that. Um, God has shifted them and he was shifting me. So I think the most important thing I want to share is that God has done in my life what I never could have done for myself. Within the last three years, you know, he's put it on my heart to, I've started a nonprofit organization. It's called Awakened by the King Inc. And it's pretty much a safe place for women for women to be loved on, for women to find out their identity, for women to step into that identity. Because it's one thing to know who you are. It's a completely another thing to step into it and to embrace it and to be empowered by it and then to inspire others through your journey. You know, we've had like a lot of great testimonies through it, so I'm so glad I did. And then also he put it on my heart to write this book, To God Be the Glory for My Story. Now, I used to read a lot when I was younger, and I used to write a lot when I was younger, but I've never in my life thought I would write a story, and not one so personal. Like, I literally gave you a quick overview. In this story, it goes so deep into trauma, things that I've gone through as a child, as a young adult, as an adult. It goes so deep into healing, the healing power of God. It goes so deep into transformation and transfiguration. And that, that's pretty much my story. I am not the same person that I was because it's impossible for me to be who I pretended to be when God has shown me a greater me. Like God has shown me the real me. God has shown me truth. In truth, I'm able to do things that I never thought were possible at this point. Like I said, starting the nonprofit organization, uh, writing the book, my Diamonds one-on-one coaching services, which is going to be relaunched this summer, which I'm thankful for. I'm so thankful. Like if there was nothing else that I wanted my life to represent, I would be just happy with what it represents now. And it represents the hand of God and the move of God that's on my life because I've said yes. And in my surrender, you know, he just continues to blow my mind. So that is my hope. That is my prayer for whoever listens to this interview who is stuck 
Because yes, broken crayons do steal color, okay? They do. But you color from a place of limitation. You color from a limited vantage point. You color in pain. You color with toil. And that's not what God wants. And as we step into our identity and embrace our true selves and the calling that is on our lives, we begin to be able to tap into something that we never even knew existed. And I think that's what I'm experiencing now. So I'm just excited to see what else God is going to do in my life. Because even though the book, like the physical book that I wrote is finished, the book is not finished for me yet. You know, it's so many other things that I know that he has in store for me because he's given me a quick glimpse. So I'm just excited. Wow, Jasmine, thank you so much for sharing. I'm excited for you. Um, God has definitely been there every step of the way. And that's just, it's almost overwhelming, like just to hear God's love and how far it will go. Um, Even like how you were saying how like at times you felt like, you know, well, God helped me before and is he going to help me again? And I'm too far gone. And you had all these thoughts, but just the love of God, just as a good father, like, and sometimes that's hard to comprehend. Like if we didn't have a good father, like, to just to hear someone tell us that God is a good father, Mm -hmm. like almost doesn't even make sense. It's just hard to even wrap our minds around, but kind of just going in that vein, um, you talked about coming to know God as Abba. So can you talk about that moment where like you got that revelation and it became real for you? And it wasn't just, like you said, at 10, you kind of like you had an encounter with God um, and you were Mm -hmm. kind of in and out of church and in and out of, you know, when you were at a low point, like you would cry out to God, but when when mm-hmm. God really became Abba to you and you really had that revelation for yourself, can you talk about like what that moment was like? Yes. So the crazy thing about it is, and it's not crazy. It just shows how intentional God is and how much he knows us. Because even when I got out of rehab, he understood that I couldn't perceive him in that way. So he didn't show himself to me in that way. He was my provider everything I needed because I was literally starting from the ground up. He gave me. And then while I was in rehab, he was my protector. But when he showed himself as Abba, this was actually last year. This was 2020. I had just come back from celebrating my 33rd birthday. I had come back from Atlanta and out of nowhere, I had begun to have these heart palpitations that would land me in the hospital at least two or three times a week. This was all year, last year. Um, Not just the heart palpitations, but I would have these headaches. Um, I would have these bouts where I couldn't get up. I was just in so much pain. No one knew what it was. Mind you, I still had four kids that I had to get up and I had to take care of. And sometimes I did not know Sometimes I didn't know how I would do it. And uh, I said, Lord, I said, you've given me these children. I said, and I'm a single mother. And I know that's because of the choices that I made. I said, but Lord, I need energy today. And he said, no. He said, what you need is to know that I'm your father. And there's nothing, there's nothing that you need that I won't do. And so I began to cry out to him in a way that I never 
and he t- and, and he began to have me lay he told me to lay out before him and he gave me this vision that every time I laid out before him I was literally laying on his chest you know like a a baby girl lays on her daddy's chest and so I began to lay out and I imagine and envision myself laying on his chest and as I would lay there oh my god I would literally feel the healing power of God on me. And then when I would get up, like he would tell me when to get up. And when I would get up, I would feel energized. I would feel ready. I would feel prepared. I would feel loved on. I would feel secure. I would feel comforted. And then what he showed me was he was showing me a father's love. And so that's when I began to know him as Abba. And see, this is the thing. I had been praying and praying and praying for God to heal the father wounds that I knew I had. But see, we never know what situations that God will use for his power to move. And it's not that God puts us in bad situations. And it's not that God ordains, you know, a sickness or a disease or anything like that. But God can use, you know, the scripture in the Bible that says he takes what the enemy meant for evil and he turns it around for our good. And truly, he used that evil situation that came against me last year. The same exact year that he had me launch my ministry, the same exact year that he had me step out on faith, the same exact year that he told me, don't worry about the resources he will provide. And he provided all year. Okay, that same year I was attacked by the enemy in my body and he loved on me. I'm just thankful because it also helped me in my relationship with my biological father, whom I love dearly and who has literally been such a cheerleader for my growth and my development and my advancement since God has restored our relationship. And I'm just so thankful because if I didn't surrender, because that's where it all starts with your surrender. God can't give you what you're not willing to receive. And I was ready at that point and willing to receive Abba. Like I needed Abba. Like I needed Daddy God. I had known him as provider and protector, but I needed to know who is it they call Abba? Because there is something in me that's still lacking and missing. Even though my biological dad is back in my life, there's still some things in me that need to be healed. There's still some questions in me that I have to know about. And, you know, he showed up and he showed out. Yeah, man. God, yeah, God, God was definitely <laughs> showing out for sure. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> so, okay. What would you say to someone who feels those same feelings that you had where like, God's not going to help me. Uh, He helped me last time. I'm too far gone. There's no coming back. Um, What words of encouragement would you say to someone who may be listening, who is feeling like that right now? Don't believe the hype. That's what it is. It's like a hot air balloon with no gas. It is a lie. Straight from the pits of hell. You cannot outdo God. (laughs) You can't (laughs) trust me. Okay. Like if you go and read my book, you will see. Okay. My life was trifling. It was trifling. (laughs) And I'm just being honest. Okay. And he still uses me daily. 
daily. He uses me. He uses me when I go up to McDonald's to get my kids something to eat. And I could tell that somebody is having a tough day and I smile at them and I send them a word of encouragement. He uses me. He uses me when somebody's calling me for advice. Me? The same girl that was addicted to drugs not that long ago? Me? The same girl who, who, you know, wouldn't take an ounce of advice from anybody for decades. Me? He uses us if we let him. And so don't allow the world to determine your worth. Because, see, the world is always changing, but God never does. And so you will get let down time and time again by feeling like you got to look like that picture on IG, by feeling like you got to look like that girl on TV, by feeling like you got to be the next thing that's popping. Like, don't worry about that. If you could shift your focus, if you could write a list right now of three things that the enemy told you just today, because I know he's been at work already, three things that he told you today that made you feel like you were inadequate, that made you feel like you couldn't do the thing that you know in your heart you need to do, that made you feel like you're not good enough or you're not worthy or you're not worth it. Three things. Write that list, okay? And then I want you to write three opposite things. Three things that are the total opposite, such as I am worthy. I can do it. I do have the energy. I do have the strength. I have been empowered. And begin to speak those things over your life so you can shift your perspective because our perspective only gives power to what we give power to. And really that's what it is like, that's why God says we have to transform our minds, right? Why? Because your mind and your heart are like synonymous. They flow together. And out of the heart flow the issues of life. And as a man think it, right? In his heart, so shall he be. So, you know, when we're dealing with issues in our heart, they're going to affect what we think. And then that affects what we speak. And what we speak is what we see, so I would just encourage you to start talking back to that enemy. You know, whatever he says that you're not, begin to say that you are. Whatever he says you can't do, begin to say that you can do. We got to get a devil a black eye. It's just, yeah. it's just what time it is. <laughs> mm-hmm. Already. <laughs> okay. All right. We cannot get out of here without you telling us about the book. So you told us the title. Tell it to us again. Is it out? Where can we get it? Can we follow you on social media? All that stuff. Okay, so to God be the glory for my story by Jasmine A. Simons. It is on pre-order right now on Amazon. Also, yes, we are on social media. You can follow us on Twitter. That's Awaken BT King or on Instagram, Awaken by the King or YouTube, Awaken by the King. Also, Jasmine A. Simons. I'm also on um Instagram and Twitter, and then on Facebook. Oh, and if you have like any questions like about our ministry, about the nonprofit, like what we offer, um, you can always email us at info at awakenbythekinginc.com. And then we do have an outreach program. Right now we're doing a clothing outreach. So we actually have shoes, we have clothing, we have coats. Um, most of this stuff is brand new. It still have tags on the Nike, Polo, Jordans. It's stuff for women. It's stuff for children and it's stuff for men. And it's free. Okay. It's free. So you'll be able to shop for free for whatever you need, whatever your children need, whatever your significant other spouse, whatever may need. 
and the shipping is going to be free. Um, we actually started a fund for people to pay it forward for your shipping. So if you need that, you can always just email me. Just one more thing. So Diamonds One-on-One Coaching Services, we're going to start running that again, which will be like one-on-one opportunities, online training, just to get that fire lit. Like we need our fire to move, okay? So we're going to get your fire lit again. We're going to show you who you are in Christ and who you belong to. And, you know, we're going to tackle trauma. Um, We're going to tackle insecurity. We're going to tackle feelings of insignificance. So we can get you on solid ground. It doesn't matter what house you build if your foundation is shaky. So we want to reestablish your foundation so we can launch you on the course and the path that God has for you. So we're going to be opening registration back up for that June 20th. So I know that was a mouthful, but that's it. I told y'all God is doing some things, honey. (laughs) He's doing it to God be the glory. (laughs) Yes. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Testimony Service Podcast. If you'd like to share your testimony on an upcoming episode, visit www.martinanicole.com slash podcast. If you're listening to this on Apple Podcasts, please leave a review. It'll help get these testimonies to more ears. And if you haven't already, be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast platform so you never miss an episode. We'll be back next Wednesday. So here's a sneak peek for you. I'm in college, I'm folks at school. So I was doing my homework and this guy walks by, this fine gentleman. And it was like this thought came, that's your husband. I look up and I obsess over that gentleman for about five years.